Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Really excited to get to preach with us this morning. I'm excited to be here. I get to worship lead and preach today. So it's, I'm just making up for the two weeks off I've just had. In one sitting, it's going to be fantastic. But as you might have known if you were here last week, we're in this new mini-series just for the month of January called Summer Psalms. I know Andrew spoke last week mostly out of Psalm 13 around there being a season for lament. And we're going to continue this series off this morning as well. But you know, the thing is, I've recently just been struck with this, this concept of home. Like, what is home? What does it mean to us? I'm sure it means a bunch of different things to a heap of us, right? Because me and Soph, we grew up in Cairns, up in far north Queensland, and then we moved down to Brisbane and the Gold Coast where we kind of live now. But what I found myself saying is that at the end of last year, when people asked, what are you doing for Christmas? Where are you going? Who are you going to see? What people are you going to be seeing? I would say that actually I'm heading up home to Cairns to spend Christmas with my wife's family. And I caught myself saying this home thing a lot, but the reality is, is I actually haven't lived in Cairns for nearly 10 years and my family's not there anymore. Our house is there, but we don't live in it. So I didn't even get to visit my home. We're actually with Sophie's family. And so I was really confounded by why I was saying this. Because, you know, if someone asked me off the street, where's home? I'd say, it's here, it's in Ormo, it's just up the road, it's where my family lives. That's what home is for me. And yet, for some reason, I kept saying I was going home for Christmas. And you know, it made me wonder, what is, what is home? What does, it, what does it mean to us? Is it where we were born? Is it where we live now? Is it where we like to be? Is it a physical place? Or is it, is it with people? You know, what does home mean? And, and what is it? And the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary has actually three definitions for home. The first one is the place where a person lives, a family living together in one building, or thirdly, a place where someone, something normally or naturally lives or is located. And so today, as we continue this Summer Psalms series, the, the psalm that I'm wanting to delve into this morning kind of tackles this concept of home, but probably not in the way that we would expect it to, okay? Because the, the way that home is talked about in this isn't a physical place. It's not a location. It's not tangible. Actually, what this psalmist is writing about is it like a longing for home, a longing to be somewhere else, but it's not tangible. It's actually writing about the presence of God desiring to be with God, to make his home with God. And so if you've got your Bibles with you today, maybe on your phone, why don't you turn to Psalm 84 with me this morning. And if you actually look at this scripture, it's split into three different parts. And so this morning, we're just going to unpack those three different parts. And they're kind of interluded. It says interlude in some versions, it says sealer in other versions. Otherwise, they're just kind of thematically spaced. There's going to be three different verses that we're going to tackle this morning. But before we jump into that, I actually just want us to note the thing that it says right at the beginning of the psalm, before it actually gets into any of the verses. And you'll see this in a bunch of the psalms. But it says this, For the choir director a psalm of the descendants of Korah to be accompanied by a stringed instrument. I'm sure it's cool to know that it's for a choir director that there's meant to be some sort of backing track to it as well. But what I want to focus on this is it's the psalm for the sons of Korah. And that's a band today, but I don't think that's relevant to what this is talking about. Actually, it makes me wonder who is this Korah? Who, is he, who are his sons? Why are they so important? 
And so this story actually begins with, with the Israelites in Moses' time. So they've just left Egypt. They're wandering in the desert, strapped in, because this is a pretty intense story as well. So they're, they're wandering through the desert. And what happened is that um, God, and Mo, God gave Moses some instructions, and they kind of split the, t- the tribes to be 12 different tribes. And one was called the Levites. And so this tribe was the priestly tribe. God charged them with all of the godly duties, right? So they had this tabernacle temple thing that they'd set up, that they'd pack down, that they'd, they'd do sacrifices in. And this, it was the Levite's responsibility to take care of that. But because they're moving a lot, right, they're wandering through the desert for 40 years, they're setting up, packing down camp. The main part of this job was literally just setting up and packing down camp. I don't know if you've been camping, but that is my least favorite part of camping. So that's these guys' job. And so they've kind of divided up between the Levites as to who's going to do what. They've divided up between the three sons of Levi called Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. You don't have to remember those, but just be impressed that I can pronounce them all, all right? Gershon, Merari, and Kohath. And we're not going to get into how they divided up, but what's important to know is that yes, they they unpacked and they set up all these different items and they transported it, but the the, the sons Gershon and Merari, the Gershonites, the Merarites, they were allowed to use carts, right, to transport stuff. So they pack it all down, put it into a cart, like a car, and drag it off to the next place. But where it gets tricky is that the the Kohathites, they weren't allowed to do that, right? These guys were tasked with transferring the, the holy stuff from the the tabernacle, a bunch of the holy things. The Ark of the Covenant is one of them as well. And instead of using carts, they've got to lug it around on their shoulders. And to make it even more complicated, they have to wrap it up with tons of different sheets because if they touch these things physically, they're going to die. Right, they've got the short end of the straw in this deal. And and so they actually become to, to crave and desire this position of the priest, right? The priest of the Levites. This is Aaron and his descendants, and they don't have to move this stuff. Instead, they're tasked with the really holy duties of doing the sacrifices and and stuff like that. And so these Kohathites, they begin to hate their job, and they crave and desire the position of the priests. And this is where Korah enters the story. Korah is the grandson of Kohath, so he's part of this Levite tribe that has to carry all the holy items on their shoulders, and he begins to become frustrated. And so together with two other guys, he actually builds a little bit of a rebellion, 250 people strong rebellion to challenge God and, and Moses and Aaron to the priesthood because that's the job that they want, right? So they go up to Moses and Moses hears their frustration and Moses gets a bit frustrated himself as well because these guys are kind of choosing to rebel against God and, and what God's telling them to do, but, but God's understanding. And so what he does is he tells Moses to tell the people, all right, Whoever wants to put their name in the ring to become the priest, what you need to do is you need to come back tomorrow with some burning incense as a sacrifice, and I'm going to choose the priest. And so Aaron's lumped in with that, so there's 250 people that come the next day, and Aaron as well, and they bring their burning incense as a sacrifice, waiting for God to choose who's going to be the next priest. And what God says to the people is to actually step away from Korah, step away from his family and the other people who are leading the rebellion. This is a crazy thing. And then what God does is he opens up the earth and it swallows Korah and his family and the other two uh, Reubenite leaders of this rebellion and it closes up over them. And as if that's not brutal enough, he actually then sends a fire to go and kill the other 250 people who put their name in the running for priest besides Aaron, of course. I don't know about you, but that is a crazy story. And that that blew my mind. You can go read more about it in Numbers. And as we read it, it, it... it kind of is clear that that's the, the, the end of the story for Korah. But we discover later on 
that somehow some of his sons were actually spared. You know, maybe they were they're too young, too young to be associated with their dad, or maybe they're old enough to want to separate themselves from their dad and and and, and go and follow God instead. And we see this because later on the prophet Samuel is actually from the line of Korah. And as we keep going through the Bible, we see that the, the sons of Korah, the descendants of Korah, are actually tasked with manning the gate of the temple, of being gatekeepers of the temple as well. And on top of that, some of them become a little bit famous war heroes in their escapades with King David. And most importantly, as they're manning the gate, these sons of Korah, the descendants of Korah, they become to be great leaders of the choral and orchestral music in the temple. And so when we read through this psalm, I think it's important for us to understand the history of those who have written it and understand the context in which they write it from. These are the doorkeepers, the gatekeepers of their temple. Their job is to stand outside the temple and worship God. Right? That's what their job is. They don't get to enter the, table, the temple. Instead, they stand outside and they lead people in worship to God. And so on that note, we're going to jump into this first little portion of Scripture, this first stanza, the first verse, and it says in the Bible, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young, a place near your altar. Lord Almighty, my mighty King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. You know, we can see in this, this little first portion of Scripture that just a desire to be in the presence of God, written by the people who are outside the temple, a desire to be in the presence of God. And it's important to, to keep that in mind that when this psalm is written, God's presence actually resides inside of the temple. Right? God's presence isn't with his people as it is today. It's only inside the temple. And so this is written by people who are on the outskirts of the temple, desiring to be closer to the presence of God. And as, as we read this scripture, it's clear that it's this deep feeling, right? It's emotional. It says, my soul yearns, even faints to be in your presence. My heart and my soul, my flesh cry out for the living God. Right? Sounds emotional. It's not just the psalmist expressing this fleeting desire to want to be with God. It's, it's more of a craving for more of God. It's an appetite for God. He craves to be in the presence of God. He craves for more of God. The, the psalmist is depicting that the presence of God is something and somewhere desirable, right? Somewhere that everyone and everything wants to be, right? Even the birds, God's creation, make his presence their home. And as I read this, it seems like the psalmist has almost got a hint of jealousy for these birds as well, wanting to make the, God's presence his home as well. It's an emotional feeling. There's a yearning in his spirit. And you know, I wonder how many of us need to be reminded that we're supposed to be yearning for his presence. And as we start the new year, how many of us need to be reminded that in the midst of everything going on around us, it's important for us to be yearning his presence, for us to understand that our delight is in the Lord, that my delight is in the Lord. How many of us need to be reminded that he's something his presence is something we are to desire, and not just for an hour on a Sunday, but, but regularly, all of the time, with all that's in us, with all our spirit, our heart, our flesh. No, it says, blessed are those who dwell in your house, right? Blessed are those who dwell in the presence of God. The psalmist describes it, a longing for the presence of God, a, de a desire to make the Lord's presence his home. And I truly believe that we're supposed to be doing the same. We're supposed to do the same thing. We're to, we're to understand that our delight is found in the Lord's presence and our joy, our satisfaction comes from being with 
him. And, and I want to encourage us to take hold of that this morning. That the way to yearn for his presence. The spirit yearns, even faints, to be with the Lord. And so as we keep moving through this psalm, there's this little bit of the musical interlude after that first bit, and then we get into verse two, uh, the, the second verse, which is really verse five, but we're splitting into f- three different verses like a song. Is that making sense? People following? Great. So we're going to get into that, that second session. Starting at verse five, it says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of string, springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. As you may have noticed at the end of that last section I read, the beginning of this section that I've read are actually bookmarked by these blessed statements, right? Blessed are those who dwell in your house. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. You know, today's culture we talk about being blessed regularly, you know, like hashtag blessed. It's, a, it's an Instagram thing. And so I thought it'd be interesting to delve into what I guess that kind of definition means for us in society today. What does it mean to be blessed in society today? And so what I did this week is I actually went on Instagram and I searched how many times hashtag blessed had been used, right? Hoping that it'd give us some, some context as to how it's used in, in society today. And, and hashtag blessed showed up on Instagram over 138 million results. It's a lot of results and you know, most of those photos were just people taking selfies in, in, I don't know, holidays or whatever they're doing, doing something cool with something fun. Now, hashtag blessed, hashtag best life and there's 138 million results for this and as I was scrolling through a couple of them, it became really evident that there was this, this theme that was kind of, kind of worked its way into each of the posts and it wasn't necessarily said out loud or, or, or written in the caption but it, but what it, was, what it was saying, that the vibe that I was getting from everything was say, hey, everyone, look how great my life is. Look at all the cool things I've got. Look at what I get to do. Look how fun, how much fun I'm happening and having. And then accompanying the photo in that caption right at the end, it would just say, hashtag blessed. So in this circumstance, what are we to expect that, that blessed means? What does it mean if this is how it's used? Yeah, God showers us with tangible blessings all the time. That's true, but, but what happens when the, la- the latest thing that God's handed you isn't this incredible vacation, isn't something material that you, can, that you can love, but instead it's a global pandemic or it's a fractured relationship, it's a phys- physical injury or work issues. What's the hashtag for that? Right, is it hashtag curse? <laughs> no, of course it's not. You see, a blessing isn't supposed to be about material things. It's not supposed to be about something that we can post on Instagram. A blessed life is not about having everything you wanted. Instead, it's about having God in the midst of anything, in the midst of everything you wanted or in the midst of nothing that you wanted. And in Scripture, the primal, this primal spiritual meaning of blessed or blessed only becomes even more prominent after the coming of Jesus, right? After Jesus comes into the picture. And so we see this word blessed used in the the New Testament a hundred, oh, hold on, let me get this number right. We see it used in the New Testament 112 times. But you know how many times that blessing is used to describe a material thing? It's zero. It's zero times, none. And, And it demonstrates that truly being blessed runs so much deeper than this concept that we see plastered on social media, that we see plastered on Instagram. Being blessed isn't about receiving material gifts. It's about being in the presence of God. It's about being with 
God. And, and so as we look back to that verse four where it said, blessed are those who dwell in your house, they are ever praising you. I don't know about you, but I reckon when I'm not spending as much time with God as I should be, when I'm not remembering his presence with me regularly, my life seems to feel a whole lot less manageable. Right, things seem to stress me out more easily. I tend to become angrier or frustrated a lot more quickly. It just feels like the balance that's in my life is lost. But when I notice this, when I begin to spend time with God, when I begin to sit in His presence more often, my fears and worries are often replaced by praise, just like what this psalmist is saying. The issues that were working me up, they suddenly don't feel like as big of a deal. And, and I love that. I love that when we spend time with God, worshiping Him, sitting in His presence and praising Him, He begins to put the rest of our lives into perspective. He brings peace where there is worry. And, and that's what I love about these verses is that they take this worldly perspective that we have, you know, the, the way that we would normally perceive and, and view the circumstances and situations in our world. And then they show us that same situation through the lens of God, our, our creator. Yeah, these verses show us how our perception is changed by an encounter with God, by our relationship with God, by making our presence his home. Our circumstances, our perspective on our circumstances are changed. And so as we look at that, that, that chapter, that verse again, verse 5 and 6, it, it, puts, it talks about the presence of God putting things into perspective for us. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains cover it with pools. It's important for us to understand that the valley of Baca, also known as the valley of weeping in some of your other translations, isn't a desirable place, right? It's not somewhere you want to be. It's dry, it's desolate, it doesn't have any sustenance in it. And yet the person whose strength is in the Lord is able to travel through it as if it is overflowing with springs and pools. Right? This is a harsh land, this is an infertile land, but for those whose strength is found in the Lord, it overflows with life-giving water. And I don't think the Valley of Weeping, the Valley of Baca is instantly made a walk in the park for those whose strength is in the Lord, but their perspective is definitely changed. And God brings hope to a life and, and, and to a walk that is otherwise hopeless and dead. By finding our strength in the Lord, he puts the rest of our life into perspective. He strengthens us to overcome hurdles and bring peace to what may seem overwhelming. And what my prayer is for us here this morning is that no matter what you're walking through right now, and, and I know there's a lot, I know there's a lot of uncertainty, I know that it's a hard season right now. You might have good days, you might have days that are just hard to get to the end of, that, that, that are really not good, and I, I know that that's what life can be bringing at the moment, but my prayer for you is that you'd be able to say in each circumstance that my strength is in the Lord. Would you find your strength in Him and, and not in the circumstances that you were dealt? Because when your strength is in the Lord, the walk that seems impossible, the journey that is hard and dry and sterile is made to overflow with springs and pools to sustain you. As you rest in His presence, allow Him to sustain you and to strengthen you. Remind your soul that your strength comes from the Lord. Blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. Right, and the final part of this psalm, the third portion, it starts in verse uh, 9 and it says, Look on our shield, O God. Look with, look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one 
who trusts in you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that part of the psalm, this is the bit that I find the most challenging. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Right? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Right? The psalmist is saying that one day in the presence of God, worshipping him is far greater than a thousand other days doing exactly what he wants to do instead. The psalmist is saying he'd rather be uncomfortable out in the elements, in, inconvenienced, but be close to God rather than living a life of comfort far from him. It's hard to choose to be aware of the presence of God when it inconveniences us because it takes an effort on our, heart, on, our, on our part to remember that his presence is with us. It's hard to choose to be aware of the presence of God when it's not easy. Now I want to ask us, how often in your day-to-day life are you making time to remember his presence? How often are you making the conscious choice to choose to be in his presence? And even more than that, how often are you choosing to be in his presence when life is going great, when you're doing things that you love? And sometimes it's uncomfortable to make his presence your home. It takes energy, it takes willpower, ultimately it takes trust to, to, to believe that time spent with God is not time that is, uh, that is um, wasted. You know, our trust needs to be in the Lord. You know, often you're giving up something, often you're choosing His presence over something else and, and so it takes trust to step into His presence, believing that He will strengthen you, that He will give you what you need to be sustained and to continue onwards. It takes trust to step into his presence. And as we see in that last, the last line of the psalm, it says, blessed is the one who trusts in you. And so if you've been counting, that's three blessed statements in this, in this psalm, right? Blessed are those who dwell in your home. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. Hashtag blessed, right? But these blessings, they're not Instagrammable, right? It's not, it's not a material thing. A, a blessed life is not about having everything you want. It's about having God in the midst of anything else. A blessed life is about being in the presence of God, making his presence your home. And, and unlike the psalmist, we don't have to wait outside the temple anymore. We don't have to be manning the gates because when Jesus came, he's made a way for us to be in his presence all of the time. God's presence isn't limited to the physical tabernacle or temple anymore because when Jesus died on that cross, the, 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 the curtain that separated God's presence from his people was torn in two. And now when we choose to believe in him, when we choose to say, God, I'm yours, he makes a temple in each of us. Right? So his presence is inside each of us, blessed are those who dwell in your house, who dwell in your presence. God's presence is with you. It just takes you making an effort to be aware of Him, to create the space to be with Him, to worship Him, acknowledge His goodness and His majesty. It takes an effort on our behalf. You know, blessed are those whose strength is in the Lord. God's presence is with you. So when you allow Him to, He will strengthen you. He will bring perspective into your circumstances. He will make the dry, sterile desert a place that feels like an oasis overflowing with life-giving water. Just spend time with Him and allow Him to shape your perspective. Right? Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. God's presence is with you, so allow Him to, to shape that perspective. Trust Him, allow Him to work through you as you spend time in His presence. Remind yourself that better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Trust that time with Him is time well spent. So I don't know about you, I love my home. I love the people that I get to live with. I love the place that I get to live, but I want God to be changing my perspective each and every day. I want to long for the presence of God more than my own home. 
to see his provision in the midst of whatever I'm walking through, to know that I'm blessed even when I don't feel like it. I don't want to be stuck at the gate. I don't want to be stuck at the gate wishing I was closer to God. I want to be in his presence. I want to long and yearn for his presence. I want it to be home for me, and I hope that's your prayer this morning too. That you would long, that you would yearn for the presence of God in a life that is busy, that you would set time aside to be with him. That's our prayer. That's my prayer for each of us here this morning. But hey, why don't you join with me as I pray for us as now? Why don't you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you are with us, that, that there isn't anything special that we have to do to, to draw near to you because you are already near. You're already with us and you're already moving and, and working in our midst. And God, we just ask that you would give us eyes to see you moving, to see you at work in our lives. Would, would you grow a longing in our heart for more of your presence, a longing to be with you, a, a yearning for you above all other things. God, we pray that you would give us the strength to see things through your perspective, that out of our time spent with you, would, would, you, be the, would you be strengthening us to see what is possible through you? Would you be growing our trust that, that your ways are higher, that, that your ways are better? Would, would you help us to seek you first, to crave your presence? And, and as we sit with you and as we worship and glorify you would, you, be worship, would you be working in our lives? God, as we, as we yearn, as we, as we long to grow deeper through your presence, would we know that you are working? Would we know your presence with us in a tangible way? We pray all these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. And we're going to end our service a little bit differently this morning because I don't want to have to take my microphone off and put a guitar back on. But I just, want to, I just want to end our service with a really practical challenge for each of us. I know it's not the beginning of the year, but maybe this can be a New Year's resolution for you, a really practical challenge. Because I think it's easy to hear what I'm teaching about today, about spending more time in the presence of God. It's easy to hear that as an escape from this world. It's easy to hear that as, as a retreat from what's going on around you, but that, that's not what it is. That the love of God's presence, the longing for the house of God is not an escape from the world, but rather a preparation for the world. To live in the world trusting God and, and being strengthened by His presence. And I want to encourage us really practically this week for the rest of the year just to find time to remind yourself of God's presence with you. It's a conscious effort. Right? It doesn't have to be anything dramatic or drastic. It doesn't have to be something you do at the same time every day unless that works for you. But I want to encourage you, find time regularly to remember His presence with you. I know my challenge for myself is that every time I find myself catching that thought of, man, I wish I was home right now. Man, I wish I could go home. That's my thought prompt for this year. Whenever I think of I want to be home, I'm going to be reminding myself that God's presence is with me. I want to make that my home, that he sustains me, that he gives strength, and that I can trust him in every circumstance. That's what's going to be my prompt for this year. So I don't know what your prompt is going to be, but I want to encourage you actually really practically just to, to name that. Maybe write it down on something. Name that prompt so that you can be reminding yourself regularly that his presence is with you. It's so important to remember that he's with us, to, to thank him, to ask for help. Powerful things happen in the presence of the Lord. And so it's important for us to remind ourselves that he is with us. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.